Welcome back to Rising Giants. Today on the show, we are marking our 50th episode with a very special guest, Kai Wu. He's the founder of MVL Chain, Tada, and our new mobility. Tada is powered by MVL Chain and is Southeast Asia's first blockchain-based zero-commission ride-hailing service, having launched in Singapore and Cambodia. They closed a 5 million Series A investment at the end of 2019 to further strengthen their position as an innovator in the mobility sector in Southeast Asia. Alongside this, they've recently launched Onion Mobility in Cambodia, a new venture of MVL and Tada that is marking the first electric tuk-tuks to be made available in the market and soon to be launched electric scooters. We hope you really enjoy this episode. Okay, thank you so much for coming on Rising Giants today. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to chat with us. Um, it would be great to just talk to you a little bit more about how your journey started in entrepreneurship and what um, what took you to Cambodia um, as you find yourself here now. Uh, all right, Thank, thanks for inviting me here. Um, it was quite a long journey for me. Uh, back in 2012, um, I started my company in New York, um, but we didn't start it with the uh, mobility service back then, but uh, we created social networking services or social gathering services, but we failed at three different times, like very miserably. We've been hitting like a zero balance on our banking account multiple different times. But uh, ever since then, uh, in 2015 and 16, we entered into Hong Kong and Shenzhen market for the cross-border vehicle reservation service. That was our first entry of mobility service. And then uh, ever since then, we were developing like a fleet management system. So that helped us to explore the Southeast Asia and Asia market so that we went to Taiwan and Vietnam, Singapore, Indonesia. So that helped us to uh, explore this. And then back in 2016 and 17, we got an opportunity to learn about the blockchain. And uh, that helped us to change the game because as a small player or a follower, if you, if you do the same uh, game like Uber or Grab or Didi, there's no way that you can win because those uh, investors and VCs, they wouldn't invest you because if we are just a follower. So what we try to do is actually we wanted to create the new game, completely uh, change the game, the rule of the game. So what we did is actually we adapt the blockchain uh, technology and then we start utilizing that concept and developing the blockchain and then we introduced the uh, zero commission ride hailing back in 2018 in Singapore. But it was quite coincidental for us because back in 2018, um, Uber and Grab, they actually merged their operation together and then Grab took over like all Southeast Asian market. And then that actually created a very interesting monopoly situation. And then lots of complaints from the drivers and users arising like ridiculously. And then we entered into Singapore market and introduced a blockchain concept. And we just declared that we're gonna open zero commission blockchain based service. And then uh, everybody was like, uh, like really, really interested on our service. And then on the first day of their rear opening of our Tata Riding Heli with the Jura Commission, our server got exploded. <laughs> so that, that was the, the experience that we've been uh, uh, through so far. But the, the Jura Commission helped us to bring more drivers. The, the core concept of this blockchain uh, goes with the Jura Commission 100% income to them. And why we are ending up to produce the electric three-wheeler, which, uh, which is Onion Mobility T1. 
it's because we wanted to help more uh, on our drivers, uh, you know, journey of their uh, cost of ownership and saving the cost of uh, energy uh, fuel spending. So uh, we have our platform on Tada, and then drivers are working on 100% income that they're taking. But on top of that, we wanted to bring a more tool for them to uh, fight back or to bring more livelihood to them. So that only on mobility, that's how we create it. And it's not just uh, coming from our uh, own idea. We do have a strategic investor from car parts manufacturing industry. And those strategic investors actually supported us to produce this vehicle. So this is uh, how we end up like, you know, creating this own mobility. And now we are uh, in experiencing very interesting momentum of growth. And in Cambodia, now we are changing the game with the electric three-wheeler, zero commission ride hailing, and also the blockchain. That's what we, I've been doing. You know, what was the first kind of impetus for you to actually get involved in entrepreneurship yourself? Was that, was that always a natural thing for you or how did that um, unfold? That's great. That's a very, very interesting question. But uh, whenever, uh, like ever since I got into the college and I, I felt that uh, maybe I'm not the person who should study like longer. And then whenever, whenever I talk to my friends and then uh, you study hard and then whenever I start my company and I'll, I'll invite you guys. So that was my entrepreneurship started. And then ever since the beginning, I always wanted to have my own company, own project, but it, it happened and it started happening like 2012. And it's just, uh, it's just uh, like, it's, it's just happened. And then in 2012 and until now about, about 10 years, uh, it was just um, keep on happening and keep on building and never give up. That's that's one of the things that I've learned for the past 10 years. And, you know, ever since the beginning, I've wanted to have one. Yeah. What kind of made you move into, you know, mobility and blockchain? What was the, like, what was the spark for this for you? Like, like sort of combining the two and, you know, building this zero commission um, sort of innovative uh, mobility company. So well, this is a this is a completely different concept from Web 2.0, Web 3.0. But we have, back then, like 2016 and 17, there was no concept of Web 3.0. But everybody, all mobility service players, is following up, like <clears throat> sorry, Uber or DD or Grab kind of model, like a commission based model. But as a small player, there was no way that we can actually fight back because we didn't have enough money for ourselves or to give a cure phone or incentive to our drivers. And if we follow that game rule, there was no way that we can actually change the, the you know, train. So what we were looking for was uh, either two things, like it's a get lots of funding from VC or find a new way of, of uh, you know, mobility service, but the, Funding from VCs is not going to happen, but so we decided to explore a little bit more for the technical level. But the back then, like 2016 and 17, the blockchain itself is like was booming. And China side, interestingly, luckily, uh, when we were there in Shenzhen, so then lots of people actually coming to us to, uh, let's say, some some suggested us to create the crypto exchange, some suggested to do the business together about the crypto or anything. So then we, we, we learned that the, the blockchain concept itself can liberate those drivers who's working for the, uh, let's say, platform like a Google or Grab uh, with the commission base. So we can give them 100% of income 
And by doing so, we can connect the value of this crypto asset and a whole platform value can grow together. So that's why we decided to use the, the blockchain. And then that decision uh, back then, it was, there was no guarantee that we can make that happen. But uh, ever since then, we've been building that up like for over four to five years. Now we are experiencing very interesting growth and our asset value goes like 10 times and 100 times. And our service value is going like more than 10 times and 100 times right now. Okay, and just, just quickly, because I'm sure a lot of the audience, uh, people listening to this will be wondering like, you know, how do you, you know, if you're giving the drivers, you know, 100% of the income, how, how is it that your company makes money? Like, how do, you, how do you actually manage to monetize this in the long term? Well, that's right. This is the question that I've gotten like uh, more than a thousand times. Um, so uh, we did our ICO. We have our own cryptocurrency called MVL. This MVL at the at the time of ICO, we've raised the fund uh, for uh, through Ethereum and Bitcoin. With that, we we had our own operational um, operational uh, expenses that can be covered with that. So we that's how we developed our service with that expenses. And then after that, our services up and running, the data being generated from the platform and that feed it into our blockchain network and also our own cryptocurrency that being listed for the, to the international exchanges and uh, some Korean exchanges. And then because of that, uh, we've had our liquidity on our own cryptocurrency so that we can uh, liquidate a certain portion of uh, our cryptocurrency whenever we need to do use for the operational uh, purpose. And then for the marketing as well. So because of that, uh, with, uh, with the service growth and then with the uh, platform growth and with the participations, uh, you know, commitment into our platform, that actually increased the, the intrinsic value of our own cryptocurrency as well. So uh, that helped us to, uh, you know, sustain ourselves. So, you know, as, as, you, as you know, that... Uh, if you share more to your uh, participants on your platform, that they can actually uh, contribute more to create the value. And then that value indirectly or directly connect to the appreciation of your own crypto asset. So that crypto asset can be the, the source of the operational you know, you know, fund for yourself. Okay. Yeah. And just quickly, just wanted to get your perspective on this. So um, what is the scene like in... So you, you, you said you're originally from um, from South Korea, and I think it's a it's a it's a country that's really pushed forward in um, in blockchain and crypto. So the adoption of the blockchain as as, a, as an investment, it's it's it became huge like past two years, and you know uh, the rise of uh, Terra is also one of the very good example that the Korean society is being support those uh, the blockchain project as well. And also, interestingly, those more sophisticated investors from Korea also investing their money into crypto market. So those stock investors and, and, and those sophisticated investors actually looking into the fundamental of the crypto project, which uh, is like whether they have the real business and uh, what kind of value that they're creating. So uh, due to this uh, uh, sophisticated view of those investors from Korea, I mean, like that actually helped us to uh, get traction from those Korean investors as well. So back in 2018, after the ICO and 2019 and 2020, we called that a crypto winter time, right? But during the crypto winter time, we didn't focus on uh, doing like pump and dump, 
But rather than we are actually focusing on the building the business fundamental, which is how the ride hailing growth and electric vehicle production preparation. And now 2021 and 2022, now we are producing electric vehicle and our service is growing uh, like very fast. And because of this business fundamental, lots of Korean investors actually seeing our project as a legit and trustworthy project. And then they uh, start investing their money. And at some point uh, last year and beginning of last year, the daily trading volume, our uh, coin was like, we, we hit uh, like billion dollar worth uh, daily trading volume in a Bitcoin exchange. So that's that. So the Korean community is actually supporting us in a very good direction. Now we are focusing on building community here in Southeast Asia, including Cambodia, Vietnam, and Philippines, and Singapore. So then this will help another uh, growth for us to do good further. Okay, yeah, great. And and just quickly, because you know, this podcast, we, we talk a lot about Cambodia, and we see huge potential mm -hmm. in the market. Um, mm -hmm. Like, what was your reasoning for you know choosing Cambodia as your as your launch uh, for Southeast Asia? Just would like love to know how it compares to some of these other you know countries that you looked at, and um, you know what some of the unique characteristics are of Cambodia that made you want to go ahead here as opposed to somewhere else. Sure. Um, so uh, uh, to be to be correct with you, at, uh, the, we open up the ride hailing service in Singapore first, but the second choice was Cambodia. But back then, I didn't have any plan to open service here in Cambodia for uh, Tada uh, ride hailing. But uh, uh, one of my Japanese uh, partner invited me to Cambodia to see their operation. But my back then, like 2018 uh, like and 19, my expectation about Cambodia is like, it's such a country, there must be nothing to do. But like when I landed at the airport and I was surprised that super clean airport, and then when I came inside of the Phnom Penh, uh, which is uh, capital of Cambodia, and then city center is like nothing different like Singapore. And then interestingly, lots of people, like almost all people, like 99% of people holding the smartphone and they're calling uh, the car through the smartphone. There is no taxi companies. All taxi companies went bankrupt here in Cambodia. And I thought that this is a very interesting situation here. Like probably uh, Cambodia has the uh, the the base that they can actually live off from the old traditional way to the, the to you know new trend of let's say platform services and also that turned out that um, Grab is not the number one player in this country and a local uh, uh, player called Passa become they're the number one player on the right hailing side and so we so I thought that um, that could be a very good opportunity and at last um, the market size here in Cambodia. Is not super big. Population is only 16 million people. But the thing is that this decent size of market is also a very good size for a startup like us. So those, is, uh, those big companies, let's say Grab or other big giants, they don't um, see this market as a, the very important market. But for us, decent size and lots of people are using smartphone and they're ready to accept anything. So then uh, that's why I choose this market to, to go further. And and tell us a little bit more about like why electric and then obviously you've got the no commission, uh, you know, part of the business uh, model that really helps with the with the with the drivers. But um, what like how did you kind of talk to us a little bit about the electric angle and how that's unique in Cambodia and how that differentiates you from your uh, competitors? Sure. Uh, 
So when I first came to Cambodia and actually we opened up the service and after that I've invited those strategic investors, uh, like pop investors and then, then they decided to join us and then start investing into us and from the car parts manufacturing industry. And uh, whenever they first got here, I showed the whole platform and then I showed the whole city and then what's the main transportation here. The electric through, through here that could be a, a a uh, good hit for the uh, for the market. The reason why is like almost all people using a uh, three wheeler, which is uh, made by uh, made from uh, India, like Bajaj or other brand. And interestingly, those LPG cost and the cost of ownership is like uh, quite high. Like interest rate that drivers are paying is about over twenty five percent and sometimes thirty percent. And the LPG cost is keep on increasing. So. The, with the conversation of my strategic investors, and I told them that uh, if we can electrify this electric, uh, this uh, three pillars uh, into electric vehicle, and then that be a game changer. It's because we can lower the cost of ownership, which because we do have our platform based on the platform data, we can actually do the uh, alternative credit rating so that we can actually partnering up together with the bank and low interest rate around 10%. And also the the battery as a service that we are providing. So we don't uh, give the ownership of the battery, but the battery ownership goes into uh, our company. So that driver's uh, cost of uh, ownership of the vehicle will be lower because they don't need to pay the battery. But whenever they come to the station, they just swap the battery and then they pay the swapping fee, which is like, uh, it's like a fueling the gas. Uh, but the cost of this uh, swapping fee is lesser than uh, LPG cost. It's like, now, because of increment of the price of LPG, it's like 30% and 40% less of uh, fuel cost for our drivers. So they can save the, the cost of ownership and they can save the cost of fuel. And then uh, by connecting themselves into our platform, they can get dispatched uh, efficiently. And then it ended up like they're making double income these days. So this is the one of the reasons why our uh, sales of uh, electric vehicles goes higher and higher these days. Okay, yeah, that's that's great to hear that the um, the market has responded well to this rollout of a you know the electric um, tuk tuk options. Um, could you just talk us a little bit about some of your milestones you expect to achieve over the next year, and um, yeah, what your kind of growth targets are for um, for the for the coming years with with the business? Sure. Uh, by the end of this year, we're trying to deliver uh, about 3,000 uh, electric three-wheeler into the market in Phnom Penh. And next year is the, the year that we are expanding our station network and our electric vehicle network into the nationwide. So including Siem Reap and uh, Sianobil and Kampur uh, or Batambang, all those major cities that we are target to, uh, to expand. And uh, our vehicle uh, for electric three-wheeler that are likely to be produced uh, over ten, around 10,000 vehicles next year. But the next big thing is coming by the end of this year, which is electric motorbike. So we are trying to sell electric motorbike about 20,000 units next year. And by doing so, actually, our uh, Tata ride hailing platform and electric vehicle network and then blockchain network gets bigger for next year. And then that we, we are expecting to grow further uh, to other neighbor countries, which is uh, Thailand and Laos and Vietnam next year. That's, that's extremely exciting. And as you had mentioned before, between you know having 
in a recent article I'd read that it was about you know, 3,000 passenger tuk-tuks, uh, 2,000 mm-hmm. cargo tuk-tuks, and um, 1,000 electrical scooters. What would What's your strategy around sales and achieving those targets? How have you, how have you gone out into the market and uh, what, what's been the strategy there? So, um, so as you know, the, for the marketing or sales, there is no such magic stick that we can do. It's just word of mouth. So, uh, for example, we started with our passenger vehicle, which is like we are target the, to sell this to our own platform drivers because zero commission helped us to acquire lots of drivers into our platform. And these drivers are willing to accept this electric vehicle because they can make more money and they can save the cost. So that helped us a lot for the sales growth, but this sales plan is not just the marketing, but we are building this up, like starting from like two or three years ago. So that's how we ended up having this kind of sales result. And now, um, because of this electric three-wheeler uh, network, so we've built up the battery station, uh, mega station in Sansok area, hub station in many different region, and also partner hub together with the PTT and Total Energy. And this station network has helped us to give uh, confidence to the users that they don't have, uh, they, they will not have any problem to, to charge their v, uh, electric motorbike, electric three-wheeler, or swapping the battery. So with that confidence, we are entering into the, the electric motorbike market with the uh, incentive program with the crypto and also those marketing channel. So that's how we're sequentially actually connecting all these ingredients into one sales result. That's very interesting. And it goes in parallel to with Cambodia aiming to have 40% of uh, electric vehicles by 2052. So it's, it's really great that that your, your company is at the front end of this whole wave of transformation within the market too. I mean, j- just the fact that, you know, between stations and vehicles that are going to be um, built and sold within the market, that's, that's very exciting to be on the front end. Because I think in, in 2021, there was only about, there was under 50 vehicle, electric vehicles in general that were even registered. Um, within the country, which is kind of crazy to think about, you know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but now so, we doubled the number though. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. So 100% growth there. That's, uh, <laughs> that's incredible. And, and, and plenty more uh, zeros on that percentage in the, you know, in the coming years too. So very exciting. Um, and on the ground now, currently you have a team and I'm curious to know what it's been like building that team, uh, what has human capital been like in Cambodia? Well, so uh, uh, me and uh, general manager of uh, Tada Singapore, uh, we, we were the launcher in Cambodia. So we entered into Cambodia and then we start hiring uh, several people. So we started with a three talented team member with the passion. And then now this team grown uh, after three years, uh, grown up to oh, slightly over hundred people. And every and are most employees uh, Cambodian as well, if not all. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent Cambodian. Okay, got it. Yeah, one of the one of the interesting things that we hear from founders within the country is um, is that there there is uh, sometimes there can be a, a bit of challenge in terms of of 
human capital. So I was wondering if you had encountered anything along those lines, or if you had some sort of program that you were able to, you know, put in place that was able to get everyone up to speed or what was that like? So uh, our, our uh, like decision-making process is simple and clear, but what we wanted to do is actually we create, uh, we also duplicate the decision-making process and locally. So to be able to do that, we got to have a right management and very talented one. So whenever we pick the uh, talented management teams, uh, our, our, let's say executives are getting involved with the interview, those uh, talents. And then after that, we let them hire their uh, local staff. So that's, they, they know who to hire, they know how to work together. And I and uh, my, uh, my executive team members, they know how to uh, communicate, work together with the management team and locally. So that's how we are actually setting up those structure. Uh, we don't get involved with the local hires. So we, 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 have, we give the 100% of uh, you know, uh, responsibility to our management team. That's how we are doing it. And uh, uh, from my understanding, my local uh, general manager and local management team, what they are doing is actually they are doing the internship program with the universities and then those talented people, they keep on inviting them to experience our platform services or electric vehicle business itself. And then if they're good, and then they turn them into the full-time job opposition. So that's one of the things that we are doing. Yeah, that's an incredible flow of pipeline too, especially from, from hiring great talent from the management level and having them be able to build the team, but also that pipeline from, from universities and very uh, you know talented intellectual graduates there that come and join your company for an internship and then eventually you know will be able to learn the business at such an early age that you know as they d- decide to stay long term with the company they'll be you know they'll be uh, they'll very much have value added uh, input and in any kind of growth that you have too so it's a very it's a you know the implementation of that kind of internship as well as you know putting the talent hiring into the the man into uh manager's hands is uh is is very positive to hear yes yes i mean like here in cambodia it's like uh, they're very young like you know uh max mentioned that it's a like 25 years old is like uh, average age of this country so those young talents are actually looking for the mentors and uh you know uh, management that they can follow and learn so that internship program is a uh, very uh, good solution to acquire the good talents but you know as you know the internship program also requires a time to set that up and also we need to go through those certain reviews of those talents so it may take time but it will uh bring the good result though yeah entirely and for yourself did you have um, any mentors as you were building the business that you turned to that really helped not only in your, maybe your own personal or business development growth but maybe as part of the business too, if there were any strategic advisors or anybody that um, that you can mention that you felt like was a really uh, important influence? Yes, uh, I do have uh, several mentors uh, that I cannot uh, reveal the name. So one of the mentors is, uh, who is the uh, vice president of, uh, you know, like Samsung Electronics. And one is like, you know, IBM. And those people actually helped me to... Uh, uh, to focusing on what I should focus. For example, 
Like I don't ask them to uh, uh, in many of those strategic questions of this market because they're the one who have experience of those such big companies, but they may not have enough experience in this such market that we are in. But what I'm asking to them is like how to deal with those uh, management team and how to how to invite those young talent or uh, important people from other companies to our company. So based on their uh, like feedbacks and advice and i've i've uh, um, i was i was able to uh, form the very strong management team uh, from the ground and uh, from the beginning now that management team is actually creating the huge value on our platform and the services and also the uh, for the society as well yeah and it just goes to show that especially at any sort of especially at any sort of early stage company, it's so critical to hire the right people. I mean, especially the first mm-hmm. 10 to 20 people that are going to be your core, um, your core operators that will, you know, it, it, it's really make or break for, for lack of a better That's way. Right. It. And so uh, yep. it, it's, it's very interesting to hear how from lar- having advisors from, you know, large, successful, you know, billion plus dollar, revenue corporations mm-hmm. be able to help provide that kind of advice of attracting, finding, attracting, and retaining that kind of talent that will ultimately grow your company in the right direction for years to come. That's true. You know, like hiring the right people or inviting your good co-founder and partners is really, really important. Even after the, let's say, several successful fundraising, those founders are sometimes are like they're having fight and then they ended up like you know separated but to me it's like it's it's uh i i've got i've maintained the balance with my co-founder and we've failed it together now we are building things together for over 10 years so we have very strong but interesting relationship and based on that we've uh, have lots of other team members who's actually have the part of the ownership of the company and that's also a very important part as you know they, those beginning members or executive members should have certain uh, uh, part of ownership of the company, so, such as uh, or, or common stock or stock option that helped us to actually keep ourselves together and then building this company together because they do have ownership. Yes, I mean, yeah, especially, you know, on those two points, having a, a very solid relationship with your co-founder, you know, going through the highs and the lows is, is so important. Um, especially any sort of challenges. I know, uh, you know, Max and I over the past year and a half of growing rising giants, it's, we, we've, we've had our, we've had roller coasters as well. Um, you know, growing the brand, but it's been, it's, it's been, uh, it's been great because knowing that you can have somebody to lean on, you know, in, in any case, especially, you know, business, you know, personal too, if there are things and having someone who's like understanding as well is, is very key. And then that other part of having the, you know, early operators have some sort of, you know, ownership within the business too. It's, you know, that's even more of that incentive for you to want to be successful and stay for the long term as well. Um, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, you touched on fundraising as well. And, you know, with exciting news, uh, saw that you recently announced that you started um, your Series C funding exercise with an eye to raise. I think it was around $100 million US um, as, right. you're, as you're preparing to launch the, um, mm-hmm. the electric tuk-tuk business in the region. 
Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk to us a little bit of how that's like if if you're able to, or or if not that, maybe how it's maybe differed this time around from your earlier Series A raise in 2019? Sure. Um, Series A around 2019 was the turning point of our company. So back then, we've invited one VC from Korea and there are two strategic investors from uh, car parts manufacturing industry. And these three investors helped me to make a decision to involve or to have uh, a plan for this electric vehicle production together with our Tata Ride Airlink platform. And then ever since then, uh, Series B went through a very interesting new world. And now we are almost on the, on the closing of our Series uh, Bridge round before Series C. So Series C is going to be, uh, we are expecting to be like a unicorn run. Uh, uh, roadshow is going to, uh, so now we are started to talk with investors and roadshow is uh, going to be started in the third quarter of this year. And now we are uh, planning to close it like first quarter of next year. It's going to be a hundred million dollar racing and that uh, race, the fund is going to be used to, uh, uh, to, uh, to have an expansion in Thailand and Indonesia and Laos and including India market as well. So uh, we've, so far we've raised a total uh, slightly over 50 million USD, but uh, ourselves, uh, we do have our own uh, crypto asset that we can uh, have a good enough runway. So this helped us to have a better deal with our investors also. So that's our current status of fundraising. Okay, and just, just quickly on, on the fundraising point, is that, so would you be raising for, um... Is that just equity or is it is it um, for MVL specifically, um, you know, new investors in that? Or what, 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 is, the, what is the vehicle that people will be, will be investing in? So now there's bridge rounds, but the uh, Series A and Series B is all equity rounds. Uh, before Series A, ICO, which is uh, the crypto round. Uh, now bridge round investment. Uh, we one investor we're mixing together with the equity and that MVL token, uh, MVL uh, crypto asset, and then uh, Series C would be the equity round. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. So it, it must be a really unique um, set of investors that you're looking to uh, to attract because there's you know there's so many different components to it. Like as you said, you've got some strategic um, players that are that are in the um, the, the manufacturing space, uh, the car manufacturing space, and uh, and then you've also got people that kind of are understand the blockchain space. How, like how you how unique do you think it is to find like a company like yourself that's you know pushing forward in this mobility sector in um, whilst also well, having a blockchain component. Like because I because for me like I haven't seen um, any like uh, specific competitors that, that I can think of. Um, is is that is that the case? Do you see any other like um, mobility companies that are that are launching with a blockchain component uh, globally? Um, I think that's a, a, the one of the uniqueness that we have. Um, so the model that we are building with the Jura Commission and a blockchain fundamental behind, and then electric vehicle with these three combination, uh, we are actually flipping the market here in Cambodia and uh, eventually a whole Southeast Asia. But there's no such player who's doing like this way. Maybe eventually Tesla could do this, but that no other mobility players, are like including Uber or Grab, they, they don't even think about to adapt this uh, blockchain model into their businesses because zero commission can hurt their revenue severely. So they, they can't do that. 
So that's why we call them as an old platform and Web 2.0. And Web 3.0 with this blockchain concept and ride hailing and electric vehicle, I haven't found any player who's doing this yet. But eventually, I, I, I'm expecting that lots of players will follow this track. And then that means that uh, this model is being validated by many different followers. So then and that's also another uh, the guarantee of appreciation of our whole company value and also our crypto value as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's, it's not, it's like even just you look through like the top, um, you know, blockchain um, or blockchain protocols out there today. And it's, it's mostly in, there's very few that are in the mobility uh, space. It's mostly like, you know, decentralized finance and, um, you know, game buying a few other things. So, so I think, um, yeah, that's, uh, it, it is, it is very, it's very unique. Um, I just want yes. to move on to the last part of the podcast, which is uh, mm-hmm. just sort of asking you a few questions about your um, sort of habits and advice that you may have for aspiring um, entrepreneurs. Um, so yeah, okay. one, one question to, to touch on is, um, what are some of the habits that you install in yourself on a day to day to day basis to, to remain like self accountable, motivated? What is it? What is it? <laughs> what I do is actually uh, every morning I play tennis and that's the way that I can actually get uh, like soaking what and then release my stress before the starting the date. And then, um, I, I, I recommend to have a, uh, to all those entrepreneurs because they should be getting lots and lots of stress. They should have their own emotional shelter, which what I have is like uh, my lovely dog, Ellie. Uh, she's the one actually giving me a very good emotional shelter. These two are the, the things that I, I, I have. And I mean, like in general, like most of entrepreneurs, um, they don't have a time to uh, exercise or because of lots of stress and because of like, you know, fundraising and whatever, whatnot, but you got to do exercise. That's, that's the only thing that you can release your stress. Uh, you don't want to do a drug or, or drinking too much, right? So exercise is better thing. And also emotional shelter, either you should have your own pad or any other thing that you can actually be, uh, as, <laughs> You, you can be loved by somebody. So that that's that's what I'm doing. That's that's actually um quite well uh, interesting because I yeah I also try and play uh, morning tennis like at least two or uh, try and do it like two times a week and I could fully agree with you. It, it, you let out that sort of that angst um for the day ahead and just just makes the whole uh, the whole journey of the of the of the day a lot more uh, light. Just kind of following up on that. What are some of the most formative books that you've ever read um, that have kind of guided you in your entrepreneurial uh, journey? Well, this is a very typical answer, but the zero to one actually helped me a lot. Peter Thiel, uh, the zero to one that he wrote is actually very, very, very much helped me. So how to focusing on to building from zero to one, and then you become the number one player of certain uh, subject or certain focus then that will help help us to grow further and horizontally. So before before we becoming a very sharp sphere of certain uh, you know sector or, or business, uh, we shouldn't do a, a let's say parallel expansion. 
But uh, once you make the very strong hole with your sharp spear, uh, like zero to one, then uh, you can actually uh, expand yourself horizontally. That's what we are doing. And and what like what else do you admire about like Peter Thiel in in particular that has sort of you know? You, I mean, so you... there is a, I mean, as you know, there is a there is also lots of critiques about this guy, but interesting. Um, that's one of the things that I like, but maybe he may not be able to make a good choice and good decision like every single time. But back then, he he knew what he needs to do, and then that uh, idea and then his concept of that zero to one to be able to make zero to one and then to make a right timing, right decision with the right people. So those are things that I admire him. But but I don't know about these days though. <laughs> Yeah, no, I didn't know. So I didn't mean to like, um, you know, push in. I also think uh, Peter Thiel has been, you know, I think he's one of the most um, interesting entrepreneurs out there. And he's, you know, he's, he's gone into so many different uh, spaces before they were like, you know, trendy or cool. Um, like even, mm-hmm. even recently, he's a big investor in um, like psychedelic uh, mental health companies. And that's mm-hmm. something that's mm-hmm. been, it, like he was there, you know, day one, and now it's become... Uh, a very trendy thing but like mm-hmm. yeah so I, and even even with um even with uh, decentralized finance as well i feel like he's, he's been quite he's been quite early to that as well so yeah i know, I, think, I, know. I, think, yeah. I just whenever i see him like making a new move into something it's always something to to uh to stay aware of but he's all no he's always had very um yeah he's always had very he's, he's never been one to like um shy away from uh, his, his opinions and and you know sometimes they're controversial but um but i yeah i think that's 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 a unique thing about him that has made him probably so um successful is, is that honesty yeah that's what i understand yeah and Kay, just really quick i wanted to ask you a question about back when you were in university it mm-hmm. If I if I'm understanding this correctly, you were part of the the ballroom dance team, is that correct? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Okay. I I'm very curious about this because I I've never been a part of or I've never really participated in any sort of ballroom classes or anything like that. So I'm wondering uh-huh. what that experience was like at, at being part of the the ballroom dance team, and then what. Kind of what was your biggest, I guess, learnings or takeaways from being part of that organization? Okay, so uh, first of all, my choice was joining the volume dance team is for, uh, let's say, it's kind of uh, my emotional shelter. So while I'm dancing, I don't need to think about anything. I just 100% focusing on this uh, dancing. And then it's like a mutual partnership. So your partner, if if she doesn't understand where you're gonna go, if she doesn't trust you and then she will not move where you wanna go. So it's all about like all about learning the partnership between two and but also the, the team itself, there is a team dancing and all those involvement. But some some people say that that's gay, but but to me, it's an emotional shelter and also the mutual partnership that I've learned, and then how to coordinate myself uh, to 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 move forward with the with the partner. So that's how I learned, and then I I, I enjoyed it very much, and I still want to do more volume dancing these days. But I uh, I choose to uh, tennis these days, but. Yeah, that's how I ended up like joining the volume dance team. 
Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I guess, you know, tennis is a, is a different form of dancing, right? It's just more of a uh, you know, sprint, <laughs> sprinting back and forth and all that. But yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I, I will say um, back, back at university for me, I, I did take a, a swing dance class. So that it was, oh, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a particularly, I guess, popular dance in, in the Southeast, uh, especially at universities there in the U.S., and, um, yeah, one of the th- biggest things that I took away from that is, is trust. You have to, your, your partner, uh-huh. you have to create this mutual understanding of trust of that. If I'm going to try and flip you, or, you know, if I'm going to like That's pick right. you up and like spin you around, you're, you're going to have to know that I, I'm not going to drop <laughs> you, but I can't promise That's that right. after having maybe a couple of cocktails. <laughs> so <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's so. right. <laughs> um, well, you know, this, this conversation has been really great. Kay, thank you so much for taking the time. Our traditional closing question that we'd like to ask each of our guests is what is the greatest piece of advice that you've ever been given? Okay. Um, so, uh, this is like a life lesson that I've learned. And then, uh, many people actually, uh, those mentors are telling me that there's no one day success. So, <laughs> there's no one day success like within a year or two years uh, you can you cannot make like a couple million dollars or 100 million dollar worth company it's all about failure and just not giving up and then building things up like long enough not giving up and then eventually people will recognize you and then that's what people call success so there is no success can come in in a day that's what i learned so even now i cannot say that i'm i'm a successful one but i'm saying that I have a strong enough uh, strength that not giving up our company and then it can last longer than 10 years, 50 years and 100 years. That's what I'm trying to do. Yep, that's a that's a really great piece of advice too, especially thinking about, you know, being better 1% every day and building brick by brick. You know, things aren't going to be, things aren't going to change at a snap of fingers overnight. It's It's about playing the long game and you know, creating a culture of, of believing and, and knowing that the direction that you're heading in is, is going to be incredible. So, um, so yeah, so thank you so much again for taking the time. we Max and I both really have enjoyed this conversation and, you know, we really look forward to seeing the uh, full rollout of your vehicles over the following year um, and uh, being able to use your, your platform and service. All right. Look forward to meeting you guys. <laughs>